Hi, welcome to another episode of Sardine Talks. This is a podcast where we take a deeper look at brands we work with who are choosing to take mindful steps towards a cleaner future, their journey to becoming a sustainable brand, and definitive moments in getting to where they are today. This week, I sat down with Danish brand Carcel, a Copenhagen knitwear label working with women in prison in Peru and Thailand. I had a conversation with founder and CEO Veronica D'Souza and creative director and partner Louise Van Houwen about the workshops they have built inside the prisons and the attempts they're making to provide their employees with new opportunities. They strive not only to have a positive environmental impact with the brand, but also to use their business to create meaningful social change. I'm Eliza Edwards. We hope you enjoy listening. so much for joining me today. My first question ultimately is how did a Danish company get involved with a prison in Peru? What was the journey there ultimately? Well we kind of both involved in it but at the time you know we, we hadn't really uh, <laughs> we hadn't started working together but we were both living in Nairobi mm-hmm. um, and uh, I started a social business before uh, I'm a really big believer in trying to create you know business solutions that address problems in society but through like empowering solutions that are attractive and desirable and that people want to be part of and I also very strongly believe in empowering women and girls because it transcends to their communities so I visited a prison in Nairobi uh, just outside a women's prison and was that to do with your work with the cup organization that you had before or it was it was while I was working with um, Ruby cup but it wasn't really related. I was just really curious, I think, because I had no idea why women would end up in prison and how life in there would be and what they were doing and what happened when they got out. And I couldn't really find anything on Google. Uh, so I got super curious and called up a prison and went to visit. And I think there were two things that struck me. So first of all, that you know, the women in prison were there because of poverty-related crime. So like drug trafficking and theft and prostitution... Um, most of them have children and wanted to support them, and that's why they ended up in these situations. And then I think, you know, they all came from low levels of education, from villages, and I think a lack of opportunities. And that was new to me. Uh, it wasn't really like uh, Orange is the New Black or, I don't know, like any other type of, of mainstream movies. or anything stereotypical like that. as you expected. Right. And I think the second part of that experience was that they were sitting there for, you know between five and eight hours a day doing things with their hands, like craft work, knitting or crochet or just to stay busy because the worst thing that can happen to you in prison is not to do anything at all. You'll get extremely depressed and time will just pass very slowly. Um, so they're doing these craft things, but nobody were giving them you know, good designs or they didn't have access to any good materials. And the only place they could sell their products for almost no money was like in the visitor's shop. So I think that experience stayed with me and I went back to uh, where we lived together in Nairobi and uh, asked Louise because I have zero design background. Um, I don't come from the fashion business, but I still found it interesting to see if we could create beautiful products that would create good wages and give the women new skills. We could help them break with that poverty spiral uh, so they could support their children and they could save up for when they got out. So I showed Louise these different products, and I remember you were like, 
there's there's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I think that the, the 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 whole point of that was also that uh, we pretty quickly agreed that in order for this to work, you don't want to make products just for the sake of it. They have to be desirable, you know, beyond the story or the background story. So that's the whole point, right? right. And 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 as it was back then, there was just too far. There, you know, there, there's not a lot of good natural materials in in Nairobi, and but there was just like the idea was really had something it just we just agreed it needed to be something that came from like a culture of craftsmanship and like good materials and you know um aesthetically beautiful things so that it was attractive beyond you know the the, the production yeah right. the production i think that's question. the goal with every sustainable brand is that ultimately in order to sell something it needs to be aesthetically beautiful there's been yeah there's been like this you know a long movement of actually a lot of great projects made who empower women in villages or disadvantaged or anything you know marginalized people and where there's you know also think you know a good uh, element of of craftsmanship behind it but the branding and the positioning is not product focused so that was really something that was extremely important for us and then you know that experience led to um, mapping the world into countries that have like some of the best materials in the world like what if you were to create the most beautiful products in the world made by women in prison where would you do it basically right um so we looked at different things and predominantly you know materials so where do you have these like raw materials that are just fantastic to work with and where there's like an ancient tradition often by women actually working with them um and then at the same time like really high levels of poverty related crimes so where we could have a transcendental impact that could actually change lives. And that's what led us to Peru. So, uh, you know, skip from Nairobi to a few a few years later, actually. Um, How long was the time period between the first idea, the first pitch, to the start of Carcel? Because that was last year in August. Yeah, so the time period... That was a launch. That was a launch. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So okay. the, the time the period was launch. two years almost. And then I think, you know, the next development in that i wrote down like the idea and the concept and you know how you could combine these things with materials and so on but the next thing that happened was that i found the name of the president or the the phone number of the um, uh, president of the peruvian prison system and i called him up and asked him you know whether i could come and visit prisons in peru because we we're really interested in doing that and he was like yeah yeah you can come just call me when you're here so Bought tickets to Peru um, and visited prisons for a month. That's um, surprising to me that there's there wasn't more of a attempt at distancing. I don't know that it, it's cool that it was you were able to access the prison so easily. Right, as one might think that that would be harder, but that's encouraging, I guess, that they're more open than one might think. Yeah, I think that's been the main lesson. Yeah, actually. I think it's uh, and when you think of it, I mean, they have an incentive actually to invite us in because the better production, the happier the inmates. I mean, they they ultimately they don't they're not interested in not having not not having welfare for their, you know, their 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 inmates, right? So there's no reason why not to invite us in. Mm. We're, we're 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 an international company. We are like trying to prove that we're commercially viable. You know, we give good conditions, and so. When you think of it, why wouldn't we be an interesting company? So we, you just don't think of it. You think of it as a closed-off uh, thing, right? But, I mean, of course, you never know what you see. That's also why one of the reasons why in the prison that we're in, that it's actually not an uncomfortable 
environments. There's so a lot can, of trust that has to be yeah. built up there as well, I guess. It's a lot of trust. And then I think at the end of the day, I mean, all studies on recidivism shows that if you have a good job in prison, you are more likely to stay out of prison when you get out, right? So I think that's also, in the, if you think of it from a, from, you know, a societal economic perspective, it's in that interest to not have people in prison. It's very expensive to have people in prison for any country. So if you, whatever you can do to mm. try to get people out and stay out, you know, that's, that's actually positive. But yeah, he was very open and he was actually saying, the president was like, you know, we want better conditions. We want better jobs. Thank you for coming. What do you need? And then visiting prisons for a month. It was the first time I went to Peru as well. So there was a lot of excitement in that. And then we chose to start in Cusco. It was the last prison that uh, we visited. I think, you know, that's where Apaca wool comes from, from the Andes Mountains. And the women were already knitting. They're some of the best knitters in the world. So there is exactly that, like, tradition. Um, that you were looking for. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So specifically, you have an operations manager who visits the... Do we want to call it a workshop, or is it more of a factory, the space in which the women make the clothes? We call it talier, <laughs> which means workshop. And there's an operation manager who visits every day. And you guys visit four times a year? Yeah, it changes a little bit. I mean, it's not always us who goes. We also have a production, um, a prior production manager who's not part of the team here. We've had a knitting expert. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, what makes sense at the time. And with regard to your the relationship with your employees, how do you work on that? I guess also being at a distance, not always being able to be there. Is that something that you found challenging, building a relationship with your employees? Or has that been something that's been surprisingly surprisingly easy surprisingly easy yeah this i think this trip especially really because the first time we went they were a little bit nervous obviously because it's like you know you have this promise of opportunity and you know you're nervous about how to go about and you don't know what the working environment is going to be but i think we have built a really nice trust between us so this time when we you know it's like a long journey and then we stepped in and it was just like immediately calm and warm and welcoming and it was like it was like friends you haven't seen for a while in a way um, and I think it's because that's a mutual love and respect like we we were so proud of their achievements and they're so happy of the opportunity that we've given them so there's like a sort of there's a really a beautiful respect. Yes, there's like a really, think, yeah, yeah. It even goes beyond respect. I would yeah. say. I mean, it's it's a like a codependency and, and it's and also affection. Pride. Yeah. It's affection. There's a. I mean, we know all the girls on our team, all the women. Um, we How know their stories. Right now, we have ten, and we're right now actually scaling up to the double, and we know all their stories. I think we've taken time. I mean, us personally, but also uh, Maggie, who ran our production for for a year who's now part of the team in Copenhagen. She's also done a really excellent job in, I think, communicating the way that, you know, that we run an operation, uh, which is understanding the individual. And and that's, it's not only, you know, from, from perspective of being kind, it's also makes sense for us to learn what is the ecosystem that we need to figure out how to operate within, right? Who are these women? How do we make sure that they excel and get the right training? What motivates them? And how do we how do we build things? Uh, because I mean, we haven't done this before, Mm-mm. and we don't really have any any way to look at to say this is how you build a really fantastic you know production site in a prison. Um, there's no way to look at. So that's been really important for us to to have that level of understanding with them. And you also have a journal on your website which explains the story of of the employees, so they have a chance then to explain that story. How important was that for you that they had the opportunity to do, opportunity to do that? To write the journal? 
I think, you know, that comes from the core of, of the mission of what we're trying to do. And we're trying to, we're trying to you know, help uh, these women break with a lot of social stigma and with poverty, right? And give them better opportunities. So I think there's, uh, we also have a very special access because not many people, particularly not reporters, get very often allowed to, to speak uh, to women in, in prison. So I think we feel a, a great responsibility to make sure that we tell the stories of who it is that we're working with. Um, but it's stories of people, not because they're necessarily prisoners. It's because, you know, it's their lives. It's where they come from, but also why they're in prison and ended up there. Uh, and then every piece we make has the name of the woman who made it into it. So it's like a, there's a co-signature mm. on, on each piece as well. Yeah, I think one of the one of the other things that we're sort of questioning, like the conventions of how the fashion industry works, is you know we're trying as much as possible to be quite transparent about like how we work and why we do the things that we do, and I think that just feels like a natural part of that transparency, to sort of be like you know, this is exactly who made your sweater, and this is why she's you know is this like a a natural tool in a way to just be super transparent about how we work and why we do it in that way that's interesting because I also wanted to ask about your decision to not work in terms of seasons and not work in specific time frames because that ties into that the idea that your work with the women shouldn't be dictated to by the fashion industry it Mm. should be dictated to by what works for them and Mm. what works for the time and I think that's really interesting. But not just because of the women or our employees. I think it's also just, you know, in terms of the environment and in terms of a lot of things, right? So I think it's, we've, we've uh, you know, we question everything with what makes sense, what's reasonable, and not what is the conventional way of doing it. Because it's like, I think Veronica has made the point quite a few times that it's like since the fast fashion industry sort of came about, it has moved so quickly in terms of consumerism, but the technolo- technology um, behind it has completely stagnated. It hasn't developed for like 50 years. So it's sort of like, and, and the whole point of fashion is to actually go against the stream and, you know, question, you know, the way things are done. And so it feels like a weird thing that that has sort of stopped. There's been this conventional thing, way of doing everything, and it's just sort of been like dictated. So... It's not so much just, a, it's not because of a singular thing, it's just in general, why not question the way every, like the process behind everything, what makes more sense, what's more reasonable, what's more sensible, um, and season seems like a, an unreasonable, I mean, you overproduce because you have to go on sale and then you have to burn whatever, you know, things lose value and it's, it's a shame and it's sad and there's no reason why it should, right? And especially not products like ours, where there's put so much affection and concentration and, and quality into it. It's like, why devalue it just for the sake of it? There's no point, right? So When I think does something go out of season? Yeah. Why should it go out of season? I think that's the questions that we ask. And then there's some momentum right now because everybody's online. <laughs> I mean, there's actually mm-hmm. an opportunity. And that means that you can reach people from across the world in a different way and you can just you can build your own way of doing business. So we're building our own supply chain. And for us, it's saying... Like you were saying, like what is the beauty of fashion? Like what you know of self-expression, identity, creating movements. All these things are fantastic, but the industry is super polluting and very damaging and really terrible for the planet. Right? We don't want to be part of that, and I don't think anybody wants to continue to be part of that because our planet is burning. So instead, we're trying to say, how could a fashion label of the twenty-first century look like? 
where you don't have to condemn the purpose or the concept of fashion, but just rethink the industry and make it cool, like make it work and make it work in all of its parts. So it started with the prison and then it became much bigger of saying, okay, we can't just create a fashion label that kind of feeds into the damage <laughs> of the present. So let's build the future. So then it became a megalomaniac project. Um, <laughs> but, but I think, and it means that we are probably one of the most dogmatic companies around. Uh, so we only do natural materials. Um, we only work in prisons where we feel that we can empower women and you know help them break with poverty. We don't do seasons. We decide when something, you know, we do small batches. So we sell what we produce, um, and then we produce what we sell. We also do pre-orders, like with Sardine. Yeah, and I think that's, for us, is such a cool thing, that both both Sardine and Casal work on a pre-order system. Exactly, exactly. And it just seems like the obvious answer for me, um, especially given the issues with overproduction that mm. the industry has seen so much of recently. Right. Well, you don't do it with furniture, sense. you don't do it with art, you don't do it with music. I mean, there's so many other things where you don't do seasons where it's not dictated by that right so why not why shouldn't it be that way with uh, the stuff you wear i'd like to talk about the baby alpacas a little bit mm-hmm. um so they live in the andes which are the mountains surrounding and they're not yeah, babies exactly <laughs> they're, not babies. <laughs> they're not babies they're not babies no. they're not babies they were once but they're not anymore yeah. <laughs> it's just their baby hair the part of it's the, it's the newest hair that they grow is the baby alpaca and then the rest is it's just called alpaca which is a little bit harder uh, it's full grown Adult alpacas yeah. with baby hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, how do you ensure that the alpacas are treated in a way that you guys can condone? They're free roaming. So, I mean, that's sort of, uh, they're treated the way nature treats them. I think that's um, uh, one of the reasons why it's a really great and sustainable material. They're free roaming. They're really, they're really uh, gentle to their surroundings. They have. Uh, we always laugh because they always say they have soft hooves, but they, <laughs> they do. They do. <laughs> so uh, it's not like um, you know the issue that you might have with other uh, farmed um, wool animals that they you know they. Uh, also have damaged they damage the ground that they work on they, they walk on it's just they're they're just gentle creatures with the really amazing fiber uh, the Andean people has known this for centuries and um, was worth more than gold to the Andean people and for good reason so I think that's why it makes perfect sense and yeah the way they're treated is the way the environment treats the the planet treats them it's there yeah I think that's a really nice thing yeah. for us that they're free roaming. How does the manufacturing process work? Yeah, so we we uh, we buy uh, cones of wool from two of the main alpaca suppliers in Peru, um, and then we bring that. Well, basically, our production manager Surya brings that into the prison, and then uh, Louise and her team has uh, made designs. Then uh, we've educated them in, in doing, and then they every piece is. Um, we always talk about how you know what does handmade mean uh, in today's work, but. Every piece is made on a hand knitting machine, an industrial hand knitting machine. So one woman per machine who then makes a sweater and she can, depending on what piece it is, she can make between one or two a day. So it's quite like a, you know... It's analog. It's analog. Mm. It's a person who makes, it's not like a digital machine who, you know, you spit in a pattern and then it prints out 50,000 pieces of a sweater, right? Um, and then there's a whole team going through the whole um, quality control and make sure that it, it fits the different uh, sizes and then it's packed and shipped. How does the dyeing process work? The dyeing process is uh, it's not the worst on the planet, but it's also not organic. And that's done by the suppliers. 
And I think we had that was one of our choices in the beginning, actually, that, you know, we'll we'll stay with using, you know, it's very little chemical dye, but it's still chemical dye because the alternative was to do 17 shades of brown. And I think that was one of the things we were like, okay, it's a commercial brand. And organic dye, uh, as far as we've found out yet in Peru, is just not living up to the conditions yet of, of keeping the color and keeping the quality. Um, so that was one of the choices we made for saying we want to be part of also being able to offer different colors. So you've recently expanded to Thailand. So obviously you started in Peru. How did you decide that Thailand was the next country that you wanted to work with? How was that? How did that journey expand um, to Thailand? I think we had a couple of materials actually on the table. We still wanted to continue a little bit with the super luxurious materials. I mean, there's so much given um, from the beginning when you have these materials, and I think that's why we just uh, thought that silk would be a really nice addition to the alpaca wool. It's also something that's um, it's you can do a lot more feminine with. It. It's got a really nice contrast to the sort of like you know the fuzziness of the wool, and it's so almost like the the woven version of alpaca wool it's got it's it's got shine it's like really soft it's got that like sort of natural movement and everything so and then uh, thailand has a really rich tradition for for silk and for weaving silk so it has sort of like the same you know elements that we look for and that was that worked really well in peru and uh yeah and they've got a lot of women in prison because of uh, drug trafficking but uh you know you don't decide on it, you test out to see if it's a possibility and it turned out to be a really mm. great possibility. Is the setup similar to the to the one in Costco or is it is it different? Yes and no. Yeah, yes and no. <laughs> I mean I think the that what goes into like finding out whether we, we can work in a country is a lot of different elements. Like the beginning is what Louise said, and then I think the next step is contacting the authorities, getting access to the prisons, figuring out whether we can create a good work environment, whether we can secure them fair wages, all these different elements that are important for us. Um, and I think with, with Thailand, it was fantastic. We were extremely well received. And we have a partnership with the Ministry of Justice and uh, one of the princesses of Thailand uh, and her NGO. So it's really a high-level partnership where they've gone out and said, I think Thailand is uh, number six in the world with most prisoners, right? So it's a big issue for them. And they want to pioneer doing production in prisons in a completely new way. So they're super open. Um, and that also means that we have had access to build our production site pretty much the way we wanted to do it. So we have a stru- super strong collaboration. And we've uh, it's different in the sense that we're working in a maximum security prison for women. Um, the sentences are very long, um, between 15 and life, 15 years and lifetime. Um, so it's a little bit different time aspect uh, when you think about, you know, are we talking about impact when they get out? Are we talking about impact for the kids while they're there? Are we talking about um, the meaning of life? Um, so there's some things that we had to look at to see how do we, you know, work with impact in a different way when the sentences are that long. But it's similar in the way that we have our own workspace. We set the, the wages, we do the training. Um, I mean, everything else is, is pretty similar. How does the training process work for training the women into learning how to make the cassel clothing? This time it was quite, I think, again, learning from past experience, this time was quite different. We had um, uh, one of our designers, or my design assistant, she, her and... and um, Another girl had actually prepared a really thorough training program over two months. So they they planned a training program where they did uh, focus on different seams, different finishes, different closures, where we trained 20 women. 
I think vocational training is a really big thing in Thailand. Um, so it made sense to do it this way, and then we employed from that, um, from from the, all these women that um, actually got a diploma at the end yeah. of it. So it was a very focused training in Thailand. In Peru, we had an expert from Lima who knew, who knew more about analog knitting than we did, because at that point, at that time, we didn't know so much. And so he traveled to Peru and taught the girls and has been the contact. So he's been in and out a couple of times yeah. to maintain machines or to problem solve or to, to teach them um, question, or, you know, answer questions that they might have. And now actually um, Rosa, who is a Flor Rosa, who is one of our first employees in Peru, uh, and she was actually one of the slowest ones to learn and one that we were really worried about because, yeah, it just took her a long time uh, to really get it. Then she's been, you know, improving and became really, really good. And now she's a teacher. So she's getting a teacher certificate now and she's teaching. So when we're scaling up and employing more women's, women, she's teaching the new women, which is fantastic. Mm. Um, so I think, I mean, I think we're going to see the same thing in, in Thailand. How has the general reception been in the prisons by the women in terms of coming forward to be part of the program? In the beginning, in Peru, uh, I wouldn't call it eagerness. Uh, I would rather call it hesitation. <laughs> I think, you know, first of all, yeah, just fear, actually. I think most of these women come don't come from backgrounds where people have told them, you know, just take an opportunity, try something new, you can do it, uh, whatever the future might bring. As long as you're doing your best, you'll learn something. Like that kind of thing that probably, you know, our parents told us. Uh, they come from quite the opposite. So I think they were hesitant because of fear when they saw the first... I mean, we brought in um, these industrial hand knitting machines, which are these like big iron machines uh, that we bought in like secondhand garages in Lima and transported them to the mountains and into the prison, and they were super scared. They'd never seen this type of machine before, and they were really scared of failing, basically. And I think that was part of it, and the second part was like, who are we? Like these foreigners who come in and say, we want it to be, you know, the quality needs to be really important, and... Every piece was made in the same color, like monocolor. That's not something you do in Peru. Like, what is this? A brown sweater, <laughs> only brown, <laughs> of just blue. And super so the, dense. <laughs> so there's just a, a lot of things that were new to them. Um, so in the beginning, I think there was, uh, you know, there were also also very very sweet, but it wasn't like super eagerness from everybody to jump in. I think people were really watching us and thinking, what is this? Is it is it going to work? Uh, will I succeed? Will they want me? Can I do this? And so on. Uh, now we have the opposite situation. So everybody wants to work for us, uh, which is fantastic. Um, and they're really good at also, I think, you know, they also have a voice in who we recruit. So the recruitment is done on, on different um, criteria. Uh, so, for example, we look at their motivation. We never judge, like, on their sentence, for example. We don't care what you've done or what you haven't done. So that's or... not a contributing factor at all? No. Uh, I think for us, we're very, you know, society has judged them. That's why they're there. Uh, I think, you know, we really believe that everybody deserves uh, a chance if you want to, to get out and improve your life and the life of your uh, kids, basically. Um, but we do look at motivation. Uh, if you really want this, if you're willing to learn uh, and you're willing to, to dedicate to a positive environment in the workspace... We look at uh, the potential for impact. Like um, we had a few Polish girls actually who were in prison who wanted to work for us as well. Um, and they were both you know, kind enough to step down from the recruitment process because the parents sent them money every month. So they didn't need the finances. They just wanted a better job and a better environment to work in. Um, so we look at whether you, you know, have children or whether there's, you, know, you can save up for something or all these different things. And then I think the third thing we look at is, of course, skill 
uh, will you be able to do the job? And, and you know, how good are you? And, and do you fit into the team of the available spots we have, if it's like finishing or machine knitting and so on? I think that has been really helpful. And then it's the there's a training process. So between, you know, one and three months, we've always given three months to just start and see how it goes. And some are super quick. Um, and some figure out that, okay, it's not that type of machine. It doesn't work for her. She'll be much better at finishing, for example, or something else. That leads me to my next question, which is growth strategy. You plan, I read that you plan to expand to four to five different countries yeah. in the future. Can you tell me your plan of action or is that still a secret? Do you know yeah. which country specifically you'd like to expand to? Um, I mean, we're constantly looking at materials and I think the unfortunate side of that is that there is a lot of women in prison um, for poverty related reasons in many countries in the world uh, so there's many places I think we can make a difference and there's many fantastic great materials that we want to work with uh, we haven't decided particularly on the next country we're looking into eastern Europe but we're going to wait another year or year and a half and just really make sure that you know we build a strong base and that we scale up in both Peru and Thailand first um, and then we're gonna then we're gonna expand. For both of you what has been the biggest challenge since launching Casa? (laughs) (laughs) Big question. I think on a practical level it's it's uh, it's challenging to work in three time zones. (laughs) Yeah right now it's um, 7 a.m in Peru and it's uh, 7 p.m in Thailand. (laughs) And it's 1 p.m. in Copenhagen. So I think that's a little bit of a challenge. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a difficult thing to talk about challenges when you make your own company because every challenge also comes with a learning curve and something exciting. And it's like, it's, uh, it's just a diff- it's just altogether a different experience to anything I've ever tried before. There's something really motivating to... Um being humble and not knowing how you normally do things, which I think has been a benefit for us. I mean, we all, I don't know, can we call ourselves young? <laughs> <laughs> At least, I mean, we haven't built this type of business before, right? Uh, so, I mean, anything is a potential challenge or potential win. Yeah. We don't really have, you know, something to measure it against in a way. Um, and so I think, you know, it's been so far a crazy roller coaster ride. Uh, but that's we set our own targets, right? We we build we build our reality, and I think that's the motivating factor in it, is that we get to decide how we do things, mm. what type of products we make, how we run our production, what is you know fair condition. I mean, everything is. There's nothing to say this is how it's supposed to look like. We have a super unconventional, super alternative business model that don't really fit any of the classic models. Mm. For building this, we have to be a little bit crazy, right? So you need to kind of, <laughs> you, I mean, we can keep on inventing things if we want to do, new products, new things, new prisons, new materials, more of everything. And you need to kind of be realistic and make it work. And um, also keep in mind, obviously, that whatever decisions you make will impact, obviously, the women working exactly, in the prisons. Exactly. So I think that's, for me at least, the biggest challenge is making sure that whatever steps we take works in the entire ecosystem in Thailand, in Peru, here at the office, at home, and just building it step by step. Because my nature is definitely just to like run and build. I'd like to finally talk a bit about the capsule collection with Sardine. I think we wanted it to look quite different from 
the products that we have both at our own uh, web shop but also at um, our uh, retail partners. In general, we quite like working with contrast, right? Like Veronica said in the beginning, you know, the beautiful mountains and you've got a prison and there's like a harsh, you know, environment, but we have this warm, beautiful uh, environment inside the prison. And I think that's, I think with the orange, for instance, that was very much sort of like, it's such a luxurious material and it's got such um, beautiful shine, everything. And there's something about choosing a color that you usually uh, connect with, like, um, what's it called? Discount. Like orange is like a, what you connect with a discount color, right? So there's something really interesting, I think, in that contrast that we thought was quite um, funky. It's also a, a color that we think is sort of trending a little bit and something that sticks out in, you know, the city scope. We've before had a, had a an urge to do something with like the lines or like a black or white and like divide things into lines. I think it was just, um, it was just a... We wanted something that looked a bit different. That was sort of like the the styles that we that are very us and very um, close to our hearts, but then just had a different look. And I think that was how the colorway sort of um, came about. And we really wanted to do something with orange, and it just sort of makes sense to do it with a collaboration um, because it would sort of stand out in a different way and it would look cool in a different setting. We did the photo shoot in Berlin, you know. So it's like you know we're doing a different environment. Let's do it outside. Let's make it. Yeah, stand out in a way. That's it. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, yeah, I'm super excited to see to see what happens with the future of Casal. I think it's mm. going to be very interesting. Mm. So we. Yeah, we're very excited to see what happens to the future of Casal and Sardine. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Sardine Talks. Check out the campaign on sardine.co and pre-order the Carcel capsule collection from the 15th of November for a period of 30 days. We'll catch you next time.